So 50 years ago, there was a true dreamer who was uh, killed. Martin Luther King Jr. had changed the landscape of racial inequality in this country. And he was fighting for a dream that he firmly believed in, and that was to see that all people are, really are created and treated equally. Um, you probably know him. He's most famous for a speech called, I Have a Dream. And he gave this great speech to a huge crowd of people. Um, in this speech, he repeated the title phrase, I have a dream, just to help people to see a future reality that they probably would not have been able to see without his inspiration. But on April the 4th, 1968, so just over 50 years ago, his life came to a pretty abrupt end. He was killed in Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Motel. There's a picture of the site where he was shot. And uh, he had given what was to be his final speech just a little bit earlier, which was entitled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. So in this speech, I've Been to the Mountaintop, he recalled a 1958 attempt on his life. So 10 years earlier, there was an attempt on, uh, to murder him. He was stabbed, actually. And the, uh, the knife wound, the doctor says um, that if he had moved ever so slightly, even if he had sneezed, he would have probably bled out and it would have killed him. And so in this speech, I've been to the mountaintop, he, he recalls a letter that's been written to him by a little girl. And she's um, written him a letter and she's saying, I'm, I'm really thankful that you didn't sneeze. You know, so years later, because you didn't sneeze and you're still alive, I'm thankful for the impact of your life since you didn't sneeze. And so he, he says, and I quote, I'm going to read from this uh, speech. He says, I too am happy that I didn't sneeze. Because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960 when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around in 1961 when we decided to take a ride for freedom and ended segregation in international, uh, interstate travel. So he goes on repeating this theme, if I had sneezed, and he goes by dates of major landmark moments where God had seen his dream come to fruition. He says, if I had, if I hadn't, if I had sneezed, we would have missed the Albany movement in 1962. We would have missed the March on Washington in 1963. We would have missed the Montgomery, the Selma to Montgomery March in 1965. As he nears the end of this speech, he talks about how when, he, when, when he'd come to Memphis, um, there had been a bomb threat that almost ruined his speaking engagement. Um, and so he says, um, then I get here to Memphis, and some began to say these threats and talk about bombs and talk about the threats that were all over. What would happen to me, what might would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen to me now, but we've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, he says to the crowd, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight 
that I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Wasn't long after that, he was shot and killed. But from the mountaintop of his dreams, he was starting to see some things take place, some things change. Um, I I read that speech and uh, was (laughs) blown away by this last night. I was talking to my wife. I was like, this dude's talking about the view from the mountain. She was like, so? And I was like, mountain view, view from the mountain. (laughs) And she she was like, it's just a coincidence. I was like, okay. All right. But uh, so several months ago when when the idea of me coming here as one of the pastors started coming up and Russ and I started talking and started emailing with these guys, um, I was really kind of burdened about what to do. And uh, a thought came to my mind of a quote from when I was a teenager. And this is what really sort of sent me with a, with a sense of urgency. There's a quote by this guy named uh, C.T. Studd. Um, and the quote says, There's only one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So that quote came to my mind. For just This has been months ago. And uh, it got me thinking, okay... I'm 37 years old, so if I live a good, long life, you know, I'm probably halfway done. And the Lord was just like, there's a sense of urgency. And he just put a sense of urgency in my life, you know. So I just, I sent Russ an email. I said, hey, man, I don't know what God's trying to do, but I do have a sense of urgency. I'd love to just at least sit down and talk with you guys and see what God may be doing. Well, so about six weeks later, we're still sort of praying through. You know, they were thinking through a couple of different options, and we're still sort of praying through. And a, and a buddy of mine came up to me one night, and uh, he was like, man, you just look, you look burdened. You, you're stressed about something. What's heavy on you? And so I just started telling him. I said, man, I'm just at this crossroads. I've got a decision to make, and I just want to do what God wants me to do. I'm not, not sure what that is. And I told him what the, what, you know, I told him about you guys. I told him about this church, and, and uh this is what he said to me. He looked at me and he goes, uh, I need to tell you something. I said, all right, what? He goes, there's only one life that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, I don't know where he comes out with this quote, but it sent chills down my spine. Because six weeks earlier, that's what the Lord used to sort of, you know, jumpstart my, my engine. And uh, so he comes out with this quote. And then he says to me, he goes, let me ask you something, Justin. What, if you could do anything you want to do for the rest of your life, and there's no limitations, there's no fears, there's no worries. You just do what you want to do, what God's put in your heart to do. What would it be? What would you want to do? And I thought for just a few seconds and said, uh, man, I think I would love to pastor a church. I'd love to lead a people to love God radically, to love our neighbors sacrificially, and to love our world with the gospel like I would love to lead a church to, to be and do all those things that Jesus wants us to be and do. I'd love to do that. I was like, but, you know, I'd love to do a couple of other things too. You know, I'd love to take my family and move to some unreached people group around the world and, and give our lives to learning a language and a culture and seeing a lost, unreached people come to know Jesus. I'd love to do that. Uh, I'd love someday maybe to teach in a, at a seminary level and, and watch young men, young women that feel called into ministry and disciple them up, send them out to be pastors and missionaries and whatever God wants to do with them. I'd love to be a part of raising up, sending out just a fleet, an army of young soldiers for Jesus. I'd love to do those things. And he was like, at, at each point, he was like, 
I can totally see you doing that. I can totally see you doing that. And then I finished and he said, uh, okay, what are you waiting for? And that was a huge moment in my journey, I guess, of, of allowing the Lord to be like, okay, this is what I want you to do. So um, Martin Luther King had a dream. He committed his life to seeing that dream become a reality. And I just I want to ask us today, do, do you have a dream like that? Maybe it's not uh, for, for racial harmony and that, that deal, but maybe it's something God's put in your heart. He's specifically shaped you to do something for him. He's given you a passion to be and do something. What is that? I do have a couple of dreams, and I just want to talk through this quickly and then move into our text for the day. I'm dreaming of planting churches. Uh, not just pastoring a church, but pastoring a church and, and making disciples and planting other churches. I have no desire to grow a mega church. I want to see the kingdom grow. I want to see God grow his kingdom. And I believe that happens through discipling people and sending them out to do it again. So I've got a desire to plant churches where the gospel is deeply needed. I have a, a dream of adopting and invading an unreached people group, as you probably heard me talk about. I, I'd love to send people like... There's this people group here, maybe in Malaysia or wherever it may be, and we, we begin sending people to them and get the gospel to them. And we start watching the needle of lostness go from 0%, 0% of this people know Jesus to maybe 1%, to maybe after a couple of years, 2%. Then maybe a couple more years, 3% of the people know Christ. And we're starting to plant a church. We're starting to raise up a pastor who's going to make disciples, who's going to send those disciples out to reach neighboring communities. I'd love to do that and then do it again. I want to see hurting segments of our community find help and a way forward through the church. Not just through standing in lines for government support, but through the church for God's people to be the people that he's made us to be so that hurting people can find restoration in Jesus. I'm dreaming of the church caring more about brokenness and sin than we do our comfort and our safety. And um, I was told there's a story about these orange chairs that relates to that lack of comfort. So I'm aware of that, that your butt's probably tired of that seat already. Um, but I'm dreaming that we would go and do hard things for Jesus because he's worth it. He's worth it. And we're willing to put our comforts and our safeties and our retirement and whatever it may be on hold to go and chase after Christ and his glory. I'm dreaming of a church that measures its success by its sending capacity, not its seating capacity. So we're not trying to fill every seat in this place. I'm trying to take every person who's in a seat and send them out with the gospel. I'm dreaming of seeing local churches begin to see each other as friends and partners not enemies and competitors. See, we're building a kingdom. We're not building our kingdom. We're building his kingdom. And we've got teammates that are, that are in different places right now doing what we're doing. They look different. They sound different. They act different. But they're on the same team. Amen. We've got to start linking arms and working together with those around us to see the kingdom of our great God grow. So I long for unity among the people of God. I'm dreaming of a church that's unified, filled with unity. And 
just to make sure we're clear on that, I'm not talking about uniformity. I'm not talking about a group of people that all look the same, all talk the same, all act the same. Unity and uniformity are not the same thing. Unity is a unified diversity. It's a group of people who don't look the same, who don't talk the same, who don't act the same, don't like the same kinds of music, don't like this, don't do it. And yet we come together because Jesus is what we have in common. He's the one who bridges all of those things that seem to separate the world. See, Jesus said that the world will know you by how you love one another. It should be radical that we love each other. Like, I've got no reason to love you. You're not like me. You don't, you don't like all the things I like. We don't have all of life in common. We've got no reason to love you except the best reason, and that's Jesus. Amen. Because we have him in common, we can be unified. Unity in diversity. So I long to look across this room and see it look more like heaven. You see, the picture in heaven is around the throne. There's people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue and every color represented. I want to look across this room and not just see white faces, but see Asian, white, black, Mexican, whatever it may be. Whatever God's put in our community, this place needs to look like it. Because we're reaching and making disciples of all peoples. So these are a few of my dreams. There's more, but what are you dreaming? What are you passionate about? What's God called you to? Your dreams don't have to look like mine. They don't have to look like Martin Luther King's. But what are they? And are you chasing them? Are you living your life like you've only been given one and it'll soon be passed and only what's done for him is going to last? Are you living like there may not be a tomorrow? James talks about the fool who says, well, a year from now, I'll be doing business over in that place. And this is the way my life will look. He says, that guy's a fool. You're not promised a year from now. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do whatever he wills. So I wanted to begin my time here as one of your pastors, encouraging us to dream again, to listen to God for a fresh word and a fresh wind to blow through us personally, you individually, me individually, and then as a collective, as Mountain View Church, as we gather for, for a fresh word to flow through us and us to be chasing a dream together. So God, it's our prayer this morning that you give to us a fresh vision to see you high and lifted up. God, give us open ears to hear and believe what you say and give us a heart that's actively remembering how you've walked with us faithfully on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. I would love for you to stand with me as we open God's word to Mark chapter 8. <laughs> and I know some of you are thinking, that was all the introduction? <laughs> and the truth is yes. Um, but I promise not to be too long. I, I do want to do uh, justice to the reading and study of God's word. But I've got two main truths I want us to go home with. Um, but Mark chapter 8 is a powerful story about Jesus challenging his guys to remember and to run the race faithfully. So let's, let's listen. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, 
I have compassion on this crowd because they've been with me now for three days and they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, Well, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And then he had a few small fish. They had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And he ate, they ate, and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people that day, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So feeding 4,000 with seven pieces of bread wasn't enough of a sign. They're seeking a sign from heaven to test him, and he sighed deeply. I think I would have too. Oh, my. He sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. He got into the boat again, and he went to the other side. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. All right. You see in the connection? The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Here's three questions we need to listen to. Jesus says, Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So here's, here's your history lesson, boys. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. Help us to walk out of here more bold and faithful than we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. So these disciples and Jesus are in the boat. And somebody dropped the ball on bringing the the, the food for the trip. Uh, Somebody didn't get the, the bread. I mean, they had plenty of food. They had baskets full left over. And somebody forgot to bring a basket or two with them on the boat. And they get on the boat. They get out in the water. And they begin to panic. Because there's 12 of them. And one piece of bread. And they start worrying. You know, what happens if a storm comes up? What happens if this? Maybe they start kind of blaming each other. John, it was your job to get the bread. Or Peter, it was your job to get it. Why didn't you get it? Well, you were standing by it. You know, all that's happening. And Jesus sort of interrupts the noise. And he's like, watch out, boys. Watch out. And kind of a play on words. He says, uh, uh, beware the leaven, he uses a bread word, right? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And then he sort of gives them a reminder. He's trying to jog their memories. He kind of says, hey, you know, 
You guys were with me like just a little while ago. We fed a few thousand people with just a little bit of bread. And we've done that before, by the way, 5,000 people with just a boy's sack lunch. And you were there. You took up all the leftovers. You know I can do incredible things. So do you not have eyes? Like, have you not seen? Do you not have ears? Are you not listening? Is your heart hardened? And he's, then he says, do you not remember? And I want us to focus in on this remembering today. I want to talk about what it means to remember. This passage from Lamentations that Russ read earlier talks about, I call to mind the steadfast love of God. And it restores my hope. I call it to mind. You know, that's what the word remember means. It means I call it to mind. I'm recalling to mind. That's what Jesus is helping them do. He's, he's asking them, do you remember? Now, how, many, how many were left over? Twelve. How many were left? Seven. He's telling them, call it back to mind. Remember what happened. So I want to talk to us about remembering. You know, in, in, in order to look forward with hope, We've got to look back and remember with gratitude. In order to look forward with hope, it's important that you look back and you go, thank you, God, for what you've done. Because I, I look back and I see how you brought me through that, whatever it was. You brought me through it, and now I look forward and I go, and I know you'll do it again. Yeah. Right? That's the song we just sang. God, do it again. Do it again. So a lot of our faith is built on what we remember. It's built on our ability to remember, to remember how God brought us through difficulties, to remember how God opened your heart to believe and trust in him, to remember whatever it is that God has done in your journey, to remember how he has orchestrated events in your life to put you in certain places and to do certain things. I remember... Um, I remember uh, 2000... Eight. I had graduated from seminary, master's degree, went to Tampa, Florida to help plant a church. And uh, got, got there in Tampa, was living in Tampa. Things were going really well. Uh, and then had, had some issues. And the, uh, the ministry we had we'd gone to start came to a very abrupt end. And um, I was sort of at this place of despair. It's like, God, you know, here I am, finished school, got, got a master's degree, got some debts to pay, got no job. Um, I'm living with this family, and they're about to leave, and so I'm obviously going to have to leave. I was single at the time, and I just thought, what do I do? I was 26 years old, and everything I had worked for, I thought, this is it, this is it, this is it. And I get there, and it's crash. And I go, okay. I don't know what to do. And so uh, at 26 years old, when I thought my world was crashing in, I decided to crash in on my parents again. <laughs> Their world was crashing in <laughs> at that moment too. I moved back to Calhoun County and I thought, what? I felt like a total failure. Kind of went into a little bit of depression. You know, like, God, I expected to be more successful than this. And I feel like a real failure here. What are you, what are you doing Within uh, not too long, I got uh, was aware that a friend of mine was starting a church, planting a church in Jacksonville. And if I hadn't had enough of church planting uh, mishaps, I decided to go and be a part of that one. I just couldn't get enough of this whole church starting thing. 
So I go and I go to help out with this church in Jacksonville, and I walk in, and there's this cute little brunette sitting there. And she starts making goo-goo eyes at me. uh, Maybe I'm remembering this not quite the way it happened. Um, But long story short, that's where I met my wife. We met and married within nine months. Okay, so I can't help but think about that story, that that moment of despair, of faithlessness, that moment I'm in the boat with one piece of bread and I'm going, what's going on here? And then when I see my three children now, I look back and I go, thank you, God, for that moment of despair and how you rerouted my life to help me meet my wife, give me my family. God, you knew better than I did. And when I look back and I think back onto onto moments of despair, there's a lot of those stories in my journey. Moments where I was headed down a path and God's like, boom, no, I want you this way. And this is where I want you and this is what I want you to do. And I look back and I go, you know what? You knew better than I did. In that moment, I thought it was terrible, but here I am trusting you now. And Jesus wants us to frequently remember those moments where he is pushing into you, pressing it into your soul. Be Faithful, trust me. I know better than you do. And he looks at his guys at this story in Mark chapter 8, and he's like, guys, have you not yet put it together? You've got eyes, but you're still not seeing. You've got ears, but you're still not hearing. Don't you remember all that we've been through? Do you still not trust me? So I want to give us two things to remember. And I hope that you'll take these two ideas maybe and think them out, think them out, talk about them over lunch. Uh, But two things. Jesus gives a warning here in the first part of this passage when the Pharisees come in. The Pharisees are like, we we want a sign. And then he gets in the boat with his guys and they're, they're panicked about bread. And he says, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod don't have a lot of time to dig into this, but I just want to tell you a, a couple of issues here. Um, leaven is yeast that's put into bread to make it rise. Um, it makes it swell, gives it some shape, and um, leaven changes the chemistry of that bread. Um, I was telling earlier, my my grandmother used to keep a jar of, she called it starter. She had some funny name for it, like, this is my Lulu or something like that. I don't know what it was. But she had a jar of yeast starter in her fridge, and she would pull it out, and she'd put a little bit of it in her bread. And she used to share it with other women in the neighborhood, you know, and they would then have their starter and make bread. Does anybody know what I'm talking about with that? Okay, good. I'm not alone. All right, so... uh, that yeast, though, is what makes the bread rise. It's what gives it shape. It's really why you like it. Um, the yeast changes everything. And here's what Jesus is warning. He's warning them. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. So who are the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees are these hypocrites who are saying to a people, you've got to live up to these laws. You've got to live up to these religious laws. We're telling you, here's how you get to God. It's through these laws. And then the hypocrites themselves would go and live otherwise. But they're setting these standards. If you don't do this and do this and do this, God won't accept you. And Jesus is saying, beware the leaven of the Pharisee. 
Then he says, beware the leaven of Herod. And so Herod is a political leader. He's a civil ruler of the day. He's, um, he's the guy who's making and enforcing laws. He's, uh, he's a political leader. So the leaven here, we're talking about this, this, this political spirit of um, doing whatever I have to do to save my skin. What do I got to do to make sure that these people like me and these people like me? And how do I, how do I bridge the gap here? If you remember, Herod is the guy who was trying his best to, to placate and please the people when Jesus was on trial. You know, he sent Jesus away. That's Pilate, I'm sorry. But, so Pilate sent Jesus away, but he sent him to Herod. Herod's also the guy who is searching for a sign. You know, when Jesus comes to Herod, he's like, hey, why don't you do, do something for me? Do a, do a miracle for me. Let me see something special. Both of these cases, the Pharisees we have in this story and Herod we have, they're wanting to see a sign, but they're not wanting to put their faith in the sign giver. So they're wanting miracles. They're wanting something special. They're wanting a gift, but they're not wanting to worship and honor them. They're wanting a miracle, but they're not wanting to surrender their lives to the miracle worker. That's these Pharisees, that's Herod as well. And Jesus says, beware. Now, why would he say that to these guys? Why is he warning them? He's saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Well, here's the deal. These men are walking with Jesus. They're watching him do crazy, miraculous things. And yet they get in this moment where they need to exercise a little bit of faith. He's telling them, don't, don't walk with me and see me do miraculous things and then not trust me when you need it. Watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. That's the first thing. Second thing I want to tell you is this. This is how we'll finish this morning. Jesus finishes this passage when he's talking with his disciples and he says to them, after he says, how many broken pieces did you take up? They said, 12. And he says, and, and when we just fed the 4,000, how many broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And uh, that word, the Greek word there means to put it together. Like, it's, a, it's a, almost a mathematical terminology. Do you not yet, are you not able to put these things together? The fact that you didn't have enough, and then you had me, and you had enough, more than enough. The fact that, again, we didn't have enough, but you had me, and now you have more than enough. And here we are in the boat, and you're looking around, there's 12 of us, one piece of bread, so you don't have enough, you have me, and yet it's still not enough? Put it together, guys. Put it together. Do the math. Do the equation. Here's the equation. Next to nothing, plus Jesus, equals everything. Almost nothing, plus Jesus, equals more than enough. Right? So Jesus is telling them, do the math, put it together. So I want to challenge us this morning to do the math. I want to ask you to remember. So as our worship team's coming, I want, I want to ask you to remember what you think back to on your journey with Christ. When you think back and you go, okay, here's the ways that God has walked with me on the journey. Here's how he's proved himself faithful to me. Jesus is saying, remember that and then do the math. Today, you may not have enough, but you got me. 
It may look, when, when, when Mountain View Church comes together and we've got a big dream in mind and we're wanting to press forward with this huge dream, we've got something we want to see God do, we may come together and go, well, our resources, it's just not enough. And Jesus goes, but you got me. So you got enough. Right? We may come together, we may, we may kind of have moments of doubt, but we need to be reminded, we need to, have to call it to mind that when we have Jesus, we've got all we need. So this morning, I want to challenge you to remember and to exercise faith. Look back with gratitude and look forward with faith. Let's pray. Lord, I'm asking you today, all that you've done in our journey, we're praying, God, that you do it again. Help us to trust you today like you've proven yourself faithful yesterday. Help us to trust you for tomorrow like we believe that you know better than we do. Help us, God, to trust in you, to remember and then look forward with hope. Because we believe that you're still good, you're still able, and that almost nothing plus Jesus equals everything.